And what I, what I want to speak on, and, and God has just really been ministering to me, and I'm just going to preach the word and, and hopefully keep me completely out of the picture so that the picture we have is Christ himself for, for each of us. But it's going to be what is called true friendship. True friendship. And I was just sharing here, uh, previous to re- recording anything, with uh, Harrison Musser. I was just uh, sharing with him my personal heart uh, towards him. And in 1 Samuel 2, verse 30, it says this, Wherefore, the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father should walk before me forever. Notice that? Will walk before me on a continual basis. But now the Lord says, be it far from me. For them that honor me, I will honor and they that despise me will be lightly esteemed. I want us to see those words this morning. Honor, it says honor, and esteem. Honor and esteem. I'm going to read a few more scriptures here, and then we'll just get into the thought of God for us this morning. So in Psalm 41... Well, I'm going to read Psalm 41 here. Verse 1, it says, Blessed is he that considers the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive. And he will be blessed upon the earth. And you will will not deliver him unto the will of his enemies. The Lord will strengthen him upon the bed of languishing. You will make all his bed in sickness. You will, in other words, you will attend to him. And that's what a friend does. So just keep that in mind, friend, when you read these uh, scriptures. I said, Lord, be merciful unto me and heal my soul. That's what one friend does to another. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against you. My enemies will speak, speak evil of me. When will he die? When when will we get rid of him? And his name perish. I don't want to think of him anymore. And if he come to see me, he speaks vanity. That's what an enemy, a vanity. His heart gathers iniquity to itself. When he goes abroad, he tells it. He, He tells everyone. He goes abroad and tells everyone the difference that he has with this so called friend. All that hate me whisper together against me. You know, Philipp, uh, Philippians uh, 2, verse 14, it says, Do all things without murmuring. Murmuring is a whispering, it's a thought. And then we whisper it to those that we think we can trust. <laughs> and of course, those that we trust outside of Christ are only what? If we're Christians, it's only a fleshly relationship. Do all things without murmuring and then disputing mean now we don't even care. We're making it public how we feel. <laughs> without disputing. Murmuring inside thought, whisper to a few, and then we vocalize it to many. That's what we do. Any of us, of course, in the flesh. All that hate me whisper against me. 
they gather together against me. See, a friend who poses as a friend that's really not a friend is going to gather others to him. Because, you know, you've ever heard that misery loves company, right? <laughs> and thank God that mercy, mercy does away with, with misery just like grace does away with guilt. And thank God we can function in that experientially. And all of us. So all that hate me whisper against me. Against me do they devise my hurt. An evil disease, say they, cleaves unto him. <laughs> and now that he, he lies like he's down, he's been put down, will he rise up no more? This is verse 9. Yea, mine own familiar friend. See that? My own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, has magnified, where it says lifted, has magnified something about himself and used his heel to stomp me. And that's what Jesus was saying about Judas that was fulfilled. Because the whole time that Jesus... Knowing exactly the heart of Judas, even before he chose him, because even in his, his deity and his humanity, he knew the end from the beginning, but he still loved that guy. He still knew it. Isaiah 46, 10, he declares the end from the beginning. In Acts 15, 18, he knows all his works from the beginning. Because in Revelations 1, 8, 11, and 17, he's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. The whole time, all Jesus did in response to the evil that was literally in his heart, and many believe he held the purse, the money purse, for the disciples. Do you remember when in John the 12th chapter and in others, how when Mary Magdalene would break her alabaster box and pour it on Jesus in recognition of what he was going to do and his love that he continued toward her. And that was a year's wage. Did you know that? It was a whole year's wage of her life. And she just poured it out on him. Because what is the value of that year's wage compared to Christ and how he gave himself? to her. And that's what a friend does. Is there's no consideration of self at all involved in it. None whatsoever. And that's what humility is. It's not thinking highly of yourself. It's not thinking lowly of yourself. It's not thinking of yourself at all. And so he would pilfer the purse. He was constantly stealing. Right? He would constantly steal the funds that should have been used for, for for the whole, the benefit of the whole, especially starting with him. And he would do that. He would pilfer it. The whole time, Jesus just, all he did was express love to him. <laughs> Knowing it. And even when they finally came and took him in John the 18th chapter, even when they were taking him, he said, take me, don't touch my disciples. What a God. Take me because I'm going to be the one 
that will deal not only with what you're going to do with me against, and against my love for you, but everything, every failure in them, I'm going to go to the cross and deal with. So please don't touch them. Don't touch them. Because we know that, you know, in those chapters in John 18 and 19, all he, he just spoke the word, and those that were coming against him, they just fell backward. You want to talk about some power. But he never used his power out submission to his father, outside of submission to his father. He said, take me, because that's why he came. He came to do, obviously, in John 4 and verse 34. He came to fulfill the will of the father and to finish his work. And so that whole time, he just loved him. Proverbs 17 and verse 17. Proverbs 17 Verse 17 says this, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Isn't that beautiful? A friend loves at all times, you know, because 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, love what? Never what? Fails. It never fades in its beauty. Think about that. (laughs) It never fades in its beauty. He never withdraws it. That's James 1, verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of light, in whom there's no variableness, it says, neither shadow of turning. There's not a shadow in the brightness of his love for us, and neither is there in a true friend. True friend. And then in Proverbs 18, well, in Proverbs 18... In verse 24, a man that has friends must show himself friendly. And there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Notice that? Friend, friend, a friend, a true friend, is, is, he has the life of Christ in him and in her. And all he does is live for another. He doesn't live for himself. That's a friend. It's about living for others. That's his whole life. And what a freedom there is in that. What a tremendous freedom there is. Then we go to Proverbs, the 27th verse. And this is a friend in Proverbs 27, verse 17. It says, iron sharpens iron. So a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. He sharpens it. And in that, in in Proverbs 27, and verse Five, it says, open rebuke is better than secret love. You know, secret love is, is there any such thing as really a secret love? Yeah, in the flesh. Pretending. In, in Romans 12, 9, let love be without pretending or hypocrisy. Open rebuke is better than secret love. Now here's verse 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. The kisses, isn't that interesting? The kisses of an enemy are what? Deceitful. You know what it says here? They're frequent and earnest in their deception. Oh, boy. And and then, thank God now, us as Christians in Romans 8, verse 9, that we do still have the flesh in us, as many as would like to say, in the false, ridiculous teaching of one-naturism. 
We still have the flesh in us, but we're not of it any longer. That's clear in the scriptures in Romans chapter 8 and verse 9. The flesh is in us, but we're not of it. See? And so in Proverbs 27 and verse 19, it says, As in water, face answers to face, so the heart of man to man. In other words, he lives in a proper reflection. He has a proper image. And in that proper image, that's what comes out uh, to others. And so, we'll look at these scriptures here and then we'll just get into uh, uh, some of the content that uh, we all know that God will be faithful to give us. This This is Matthew, the 11th chapter. Verse 15, it says, He that has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 16, it says, But whereunto will I liken this generation? What what is it like where we are right now? It is like unto children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows, their supposed friends. (laughs) They're like children, though. They're just like children. They play like children. Their activity is like children. What they do and what they think they do for others is really just a measure for themselves. And saying, we have piped unto you and you have not danced. We have mourned unto you and you haven't lamented. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came. (laughs) Can you believe this? God and humanity. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, behold, a man gluttonous, a wine-bibber, a friend, a friend of publicans and sinners, but wisdom is justified of her children. Verse 20 says, then, be, then began he to upbraid and really deal with it, the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done. Where will God deal with us mostly? As us as believers in local assemblies or wherever. Where will he deal with us mostly? Where most of his works were done. Thank God he doesn't go by what we like, huh? Because like is not involved in his love at all. There's no thought of man outside of Christ to have the mind of Christ in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 16. There's no thought in in Psalm 10 verse 4. There's no thought. There's no thought whatsoever. In Psalm 50 verse 20, they thought in their thinking they were just like God. But see, the thought of the flesh in the believer is still... Genesis 6, verse 5, and Genesis 8, verse 21. The thought of man, outside of who they are in Christ, is only evil continually. Listen, every design, every plan, every purpose is only evil continually. There's no no stopping it. You and I cannot stop the lie in experiencing the flesh. It's not who we are, but we cannot stop it outside of the word in Hebrews 4.12, that separates that fleshly, selfish soul living 
from spiritual living, living unto God. You see, a friend always has wisdom. Why? Because he's always in a love relationship with Christ. He lives for his master to reveal the treasure in him who's nothing but a little clay jar. In 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7. Wisdom. Hey? Then began he, Matthew 11, verse 20, then began he to upbraid the cities where most of his mighty works were done. You know why? Because they repented not. They refused to change their mind. They refused to give their will over to known truth. And a Christian that refuses to give their will over to known truth, what do they live in? non-repentance. They only live in their thoughts, their will. The simple definition of sin. If, here's the simple definition of sin. In a Christian, we, we know what we can confess in 1 John 1 9, but what is it? My will, not yours. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 26, 39 and 41? In the midst of the deepest trial in his humanity, where every demon in hell was on him, crushing him, crushing him in Luke twenty two forty four, and everything they were doing against him, all that came out was, nevertheless, your will be done. All of hell crushing him and on him. While, they, while his disciples, <laughs> his friends that he loved, slept. Slept in, in passivity. And, and uh, But thank God he wasn't like that, and he's not like that towards us. They repented not, and then he went into all these woes. Woe unto you, Chorazin. Woe unto you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in even Tyre, Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. What does it take, God? What does it take to get us to submit our wills to him? What, what will it take? Well, I've seen some of it. I've seen it in my own life and in others. One thing after another happens to the mom. One thing after another. Christians happens unto the dad. One thing after another happens unto now the children. What will it take? What will it take? What will it take? What does it take to have true love, true wisdom? What does it take? Take submission. But I say unto you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre, Tyre, and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. For you, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, something that the self-life does, <laughs> you will be brought down to hell. For if the, if the mighty works had been done in you, which had been done in even Sodom. God. Sodom. People just in Sodom. Read it, read it in Genesis, the Genesis account of Sodom. In Genesis 18, 19, and so forth. Just read those about Sodom. Marriage didn't mean anything. Mar marital relationship didn't mean anything. And even proper relationships. Homosexuality and lesbianism. Rampant. Just like it is in our day. And unfortunately, just like it's accepted in what is called 
local assembly churches, which it is not. Where Christ is not lifted up and manifested in Matthew 18, 20, God does not even consider it a local assembly expression of who he is. It's not saying he doesn't love those that are Christians. It's just saying there's no proper manifestation of Christ, and he cannot be there. And that's why sin doesn't touch our relationship as believers in Christ, but it certainly stops the experience of fellowship. It just does. That's why we teach continually, continually, if you have an issue with someone, if you have an issue with another believer, okay, then that other one should be there that you have the issue with if it's to be brought up. Period. Period. That's, that's God. That's, that's for me. In Matthew 18, 15 to 18, it just is. Read the verses in Proverbs 17 and verse 9, Proverbs 10, 12, Proverbs 25 and verse 2, how love should operate properly. And then in 11.25, at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, O Father, you're Lord of heaven and earth. You know, here we are in this earth as believers, and if he was still Lord of us in our heavenly position, would we live and would we want a thing to do with this world system on this earth right now? No. Stop loving the world in 1 John 2.15, and the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. He's not being manifested. That, you cannot be a true friend. You and I, in the flesh, will be false friends if I don't have submission, my own submission to him. And if there's no love, then there's no wisdom. And if there's not that, then we compare. In 2 Corinthians 10, In verse 12, it says, in comparing, there's no wisdom. In other words, there's no love. There's no intimate fellowship. Christ is not being expressed in either of the vessels. It can be in one. But if there can't be fellowship, what do you do? The Bible makes it very clear. I thank you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hid these things from those that think they have wisdom and prudence, they think they have enough of their own thoughts to know what's going on and has revealed them unto babes. I love what that says because even when you see proper local assembly and those that are located in that assembly in 1 John 2, 1, verse 1, all the way to the 14th verse, there's, there's three classes of people always in any orderly functioning local assembly. There's going to be babes, young men, and spiritual dads. And spiritual dads are not to act like young people or babes even when they have them. They're to hold their true image in their growth. Something that I have been learning and something that is, is going to be that way by God's grace in my life. And then a spiritual dad doesn't act like a young babe again, or young men. He doesn't speak like them. He doesn't act like them. He just doesn't. Now, in that sense, why? 
babes, young men, spiritual dads. Because in 1 John 2.1, we are all his technia, his children. And when I think that I don't need Christ anymore, or when I live in the deception of it, what will I act like as a spiritual dad? Back to young men and even acting like a baby again. When, I, when he doesn't have me. When he doesn't have me. No. He's revealed them unto babes. Oh boy. That's why we, uh, God has taught us through the word that there's no such thing as a theologian or a scholar outside of God only, the Holy Spirit. It's very interesting because who has known the mind of Christ? In 1 Corinthians 2.16, who is sufficient for anything about him in 2 Corinthians 2.16 outside of having him as our head? Who's, who, is there any sufficiency in us? None. Is there sufficiency in me then to act as a true friend? No. None. Verse 26, it says, even so, that's submitted will. <laughs> even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father. Isn't that interesting? What can we do without Christ? Without submission. And no man knows the Son. Do I think that I actually know in a proper experience who Christ is when I'm in the flesh? Can I know too and not be confused? Can I? Is God the author of confusion? In 1 Corinthians 14, 33, no. He's the author of order. A well-ordered mind. What makes a well-ordered local assembly? A well-ordered mind. Where does it start? Where does that start? God does all things decently, openly, transparently, and in order in 1 Corinthians 14, 40. No man knows the Son but the Father. You know what a true friend is? He has a Savior, and that Savior has given him a Father. That's right. The greatest father that ever, that ever could be. That ever could be. But the father. No man knows the son but the father. Neither knows any man the father. The only one is the son. And, and to whomever the son will reveal him. When you know him, when you know him like this, when you know God, not as your judge, but as your father, then you through Christ, and you can't know fatherhood outside of who you are in Christ, who he's made you to be. You can't. And I can't. But come unto me. Does that involve a will? Is obedience, when I know truth, is obedience, obedience when it's delayed, when I know the truth? Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Where does that rest come from? Submission of the will, constant, and obedience to the word, the light that has revealed it so that we don't walk in darkness. Read John 3, 16 to 22. Then take my yoke, take my yoke. 
is that that take is is that will again submitted take my yoke again jesus never needed a yoke it's not like the two yokes yoke speaks of restraint the type brings it out clearly in numbers 19 and verse 2 that red heifer and it's a female there only in terms of submission and that's what christ in terms of submission and understanding it in the full preponderance of the scriptures and in that sense, he constantly submitted his will. That's why it was a red heifer in the type, only a type. <laughs> and it was to have no blemish, no spot. And it says, and yoke never had a yoke on it because a yoke speaks of restraint and we need it constantly. And without instant obedience to known truth, we have no restraint. And then in that way, I never act as a true friend. I will pose as one, but I won't be one. Take my yoke upon you, and then when you do, and, and without a yoke, without a will submitted, you never learn of me. You will only take of me and use it for your flesh if you don't submit your will, and I don't submit my will. For I am meek and lowly in heart. I am gentle and humble. And you will find rest unto your soul. For my yoke that I have for you is easy, and my burden is light. In closing this morning, what, what is a friend? What does it mean to be a friend? It's really brought out beautifully. And I'm going to close it very quickly here. And a beautiful illustration of, of friendship is, is brought out in 1 Samuel the 18th chapter, and I'll read those verses for you. 1 Samuel 18, in verse 1, it says, And it came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, this is Jonathan, and he, he still acted as a dear friend to David, even when his own father, his natural family, was against him. Notice that? It came to pass when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit. That word knit is brought out beautifully in Colossians 2 and verse 2. The Greek word is sumbibadzo. means that one is so knit to another that no familiarity of air in Job 41 verse 16 can pass between them. And a true kiss is one whose will is so submitted to the other that no air, familiarity, anger, hostility can pass. Can pass. And when I don't deal with issues in my own life with God, I will pass them on to others. There's no stopping the flesh on our own without precise instruction through the Word of God. That's why I think these booklets are so extremely important and why I want to do them so professionally because God put that on my heart. The soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Wilberforce, we put this in causeless love. Wilberforce was a man who was setting souls free and he went through so much and they asked him, how do you do this? How do you constantly put yourself in danger? He said, because I forgot I had my own soul. I forgot I had my own soul. 
Oh, God, what freedom in that. What freedom in it. To operate in a soul that hasn't been submitted, been cut off, to experience spiritual truth in Hebrews 4.12 and not be free. Oh, Lord. In Galatians 5.1, freedom. Read what happens in Galatians 5.1. Read it all the way through to Augusta to 24 and watch the flow of that. Jonathan loved him as his own soul and Saul took him that day and would, and would not let him go more home to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David didn't matter. Jonathan and David still made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. You know what a friend is? This is what a friend is. One who is attached to another by a godly affection. You see, if, it, if it's just filio or philos love, it's just the affection of the flesh hasn't been severed yet. But when it's agape love, true agape love does enter into phileo properly. That's what Jesus was trying to teach Peter in John 21, 15 to 17. And that's why he told him, well, I'm going to carry you in 21, 18 to a place where you wouldn't go. You couldn't do it yourself. But I'm going to teach you what I've just expressed to you in 15 to 17 of John 21. A friend is one who is attached to another by affection, godly affection. One who entertains for another sentiments of esteem. (laughs) I live in the flesh. I'm going to esteem flesh and not the other. Philippians 2 verse 3. This brings that out beautifully. Esteem one another better than yourself. That's what a friend does, true friend. Esteem one another better than yourself. Look not on your own things in Philippians 2, 4, but on the things of others. Let that mind be in you through submitted will, that mind that Christ is in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 16. And watch what he did. He went lower than any human being ever went because he, he deeply loved people. Even Judas. He never treated him after his hatred. Only God could do something like that and only we can do it when our wills are submitted. Otherwise, we will function in the flesh in hatred. In hatred in Romans 8, verse 7. The flesh has strong settled. The flesh that's in the believer that we're not of in Romans 8, 9. But in Romans 8, 7, the flesh has strong, settled feelings of hatred towards God. Towards God. And when I function in the flesh that way, if I function in that way towards God, how will I function to others? And can the enemy deceive me in that way? Like he deceives the world in Revelation 12, 9? Yes. And then in that deception, will he use me to start accusing? In 12.10, those especially that are Christ because he has loved them, right, and knit himself with them. You know the robe that those soldiers, when they were mocking Jesus, and it's brought out in in Psalm 22, they, they, they couldn't tear it and each get a piece. Do you know why? Because it was woven of one. And they would have destroyed it. It wouldn't have been the same. And that's who we are in Christ. It's a beautiful expression of it. It's a very beautiful expression. 
So a friend is one who was attached to another by affection, godly affection. One who entertains for another sentiments of esteem, listen to this, respect and affection, which lead him to desire his company and to seek to promote his happiness and his prosperity. True, He's not thinking of himself. His prosperity. And he's opposed to any foe or enemy that would come against that friend. Because he's not living for himself. He's not even listening to one word against him. He won't even entertain it. He just won't. Because he knows God's order. Because if he knows it to himself and how God has been with him and treated him, he'll know how to function in it when his will is submitted. Listen to it. One not hostile. There's no hostility towards another in a friendship. And he even acts in his friend's stead, even when that friend is so weak and so frail, he will stand in and oppose that enemy for him. That's what Jesus does in Romans 8.34, in Hebrews 7.25, in Hebrews 7, 9 verse 26. He intercedes for us. I love friendship, but I'm going to tell you this right now. There's a friendship that will lead to something far above it. It's called intimacy. It is. That's what it leads to. One, a true friend, is one reconciled, brought back into a right relationship after there has been enmity or strong, settled feelings of hatred. No wonder we need forgiveness, which is the confirmation of God's love. But it's done in a proper order, too. Who is he? He's an attendant. Listen to that. A true friend is an attendant. What's that? He is waiting to look for a need that he can meet in his friend. He's just waiting. That's an attendant. Do you ever see the rich people when they're sitting down eating a meal? There's the servers or the butlers, and they're standing there waiting for, that, for those rich people to express a need that they, that they want them to meet. Isn't that interesting? That's attendant. A companion. A favorer. You know what that means? A favorer. Isn't that interesting when we can just really see these things and nothing draws our attention away at all in the least bit so we don't even miss the beauty of these things? He's a favorer. He's a favorer. He, uh, he's a person that's completely graced out. He's so graced out in John 1 verse 16. He... Grace heaped up upon anti, the Greek word, grace heaped up upon grace, upon grace, upon grace. He's so loaded with grace, with Christ who's filled up with all that grace and truth is. And John 1.14 and Colossians 2.9, and when we submit, we're complete in him with that filling in 2.10 of Colossians. He's a favorer. One, listen to what it is, one who is propitious. One who lives in the fact that Christ has propitiated his Father, and in that propitiation, which involves incredible forgiveness and love and humility, he is propitious. I saw this one. He's a friend at court. 
one who has sufficient interest to serve another. That's what they are. Picture the courtroom of God's judgment. Can you imagine if we had to appear in, 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 Jesus, in God the Father sitting as the judge, and we had to go in there and face the judge without Christ, our advocate? What would be the result? Do we function towards each other like we don't have that advocate anymore? Who doesn't, who, who's not constantly propitious towards us? He's a friend at court, one who has sufficient. He's so loaded with Christ in his own individuality. He has sufficient interest to serve another. Do you know why it says in Psalm 23, verse 5, he said, my cup runs over. You know what that means? David, through the Holy Spirit, he's teaching him, I'm going to so fill you up, but I'm not going to stop. I'm going to fill you to overflowing. And that overflow in Psalm 133, 1 through 3, will reach others. Love does not stop flowing. Listen to that. God does not stop loving us. Do we stop receiving it? What stops it? When I function outside of God's order, what would stop me from functioning outside of God's order? I stop submitting my will. Instantly, my flesh takes over. And then we'll close. Inclined. One who's inclined. What does that mean? One who's always ready to love. You know why? Because the one that does that loving is so well disposed. He's so taken care of. And there's not an ounce of self or selflessness or selfishness or self-occupation or self-preservation. Not an ounce of it in us. Finally, the Hebrew word for friend is reya, R-E-Y-A. And this is what it says. One who shares confidences. There's a handful, a very small handful, who I would even dare share a confidence in. You know what a confidence is, right? It's kept that way. (laughs) It's kept confident between that individual and the friend. One who shares confidences and to one who feels very close in a trust, a friend as one who always has wisdom, the wisdom of love and the love of wisdom, and it keeps out all foolishness. Proverbs 18, 2. Ephesians 5, 3 and 4. We would teach about foolishness, even to young people. And when the enemy can convince you, in your youth, that that's who you are in your foolishness, then you will not receive teaching. You will, you will act in a hostile manner towards it. Then you will gather others unto yourself. And all you're doing is gathering others unto yourself to keep you in that particular place and to take them outside of intimate fellowship and outside of God's order. <laughs> a false friend is what? A false friend is just an associate. He's not a long-lasting friend. Does friendship ever end? True friendship? No. A friend loves it what? All times. 
not long lasting, very superficial. That's the flesh in every single one of us, the flesh. And then we have that love that Jesus, that was being brought out because God was bringing it out in Peter. Peter, you have an affectionate love for me. Now, for us to understand that properly, when he was bringing that out in John 21, 15 to 17, that was the love that Martha, when she was in the kitchen trying to serve him with affectionate love, and Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet in Luke, the 10th chapter, in verses 38 to 42, what he was trying to tell Peter and what he was teaching Martha was this, I recognize that you have an affectionate love for me, but you're making more of your affectionate love for me than my agape love for you. And still, there's still your will attached to it that's not been submitted to me. So, you're going to be a Christian, and you're going to be in the heat of the kitchen, and it's going to get so hot and so uncomfortable, and it's going to bring it out. She was making, Martha was making more of her affectionate love, and so was Peter. Finally, he had to say, Lord, you know, you know, you know. Oh, it's so great to be in his presence. You know why? Because he'll never condemn me, even when it's affectionate love. He just doesn't. There's no condemnation in it. And there's no coincidences with God with the preaching of the word. Not a bit. Not, not, not one single bit. So this, this philos love, or phileo, is just one who's loved and dear and friendly. But he's taken us far beyond that. He's taking us a place where we wouldn't go, where only God could take us, because only he has this self-sacrificial love. And that's why it says nowhere in the scriptures that we are children of love. Nowhere in the scriptures do we take on the holiness that Christ walked in when he walked on the earth. That happens when we submit our will in obedience and then we function in holiness. And there's no flesh in any of it. He loves us with agape love, a self-sacrificial love that doesn't even think of itself. Father, thank you so much for godly friendship and what that means. Godly friendship, godly friendship goes way beyond affection. It goes into agape, self-sacrificial love. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.